Welcome to the Respective Solutions Podcast. Our mission at RSG is to create safe learning environments and support school professionals through resources that make a difference in education. I'm John Lewis, the host of the podcast, and we will be getting to know our Adams County community partners and discuss issues relating to the prevention of youth violence, as this is the Collaborative Violence Prevention Initiative. This podcast is being brought to you by Pennsylvania Taxpayer Dollars. Welcome to the podcast. Today, our guest is Samaya Slusser. She's the Strategic Prevention Framework Project Director at the Center for Youth and Community Development here in Gettysburg. Welcome, Sammy. Thank you, John. Good to have you here. The Strategic Project Framework is a new initiative, I understand. Yes. Uh, The Center for Youth and Community Development received a five-year grant through SAMHSA. And with that, we are leading the Strategic Prevention Framework project here in Adams County. And the project focuses on really looking at the vulnerable populations in the county and other pockets of the community that may have not been served as well as far as receiving prevention services or becoming engaged in helping to implement those prevention services in the county. So we are looking at uh, ways that we can help specifically with substance abuse prevention and other prevention activities that will help youth, you know, survive their young years and grow into promising young individuals into the community and, you know, building that leadership. Wow, that's an an enormous proposition. There's obviously many different legs to that. But before we get into that, because that's going to take some time to peel that onion, tell us about you. Wow. So I am a mom, a self-proclaimed artist. What kind of uh, art do you do? Oh, anything and everything. I love to paint, make jewelry, you name it. I'm self-proclaimed at that. I am the Strategic Prevention Framework Project Director for CFYCD. I've been with them in various positions for over 15 years. And I've been involved in the human services field for, if you count my volunteer work, well over 40 years. I've worked in the field of working with people with developmental disabilities and physical disabilities, mental health concerns. I've worked with homeless shelters, domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking. Has that all been in Adams County? No, some of it's been in New York County. So how long have you been the Strategic Prevention Framework Project Director? Wow. So I've only been in this position for not quite a year. Prior to that, I was with still with the Center for Youth and Community Development and Collaborating for Youth, running their C21 Learning Center after school programs in the districts in the county. Okay. So we interviewed Andrea Dolgis. and in a in a previous podcast, and she talked about the after after school programs yes. all over Adams County and into some of the other in your county, I think as well. Yes. And you you oversaw the, those yes. those things. Yes, yeah. we had twenty sites in three in in uh, York County, one in Chambersburg, and then the rest of the sites were here in Adams County in the school districts. Here. So that kept you busy. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> That's... Lots of fun though too, because. 
I was able to go into the after-school programs and teach some artwork to the kids, which is great, and help with some of the social-emotional learning programs that we offer through the after-school program, which is, you know, in the beginning of the year, you you meet the children, um, you get to know them, and by the end of the year, they're, they are just so different, like their outlook on life changes, and, you know, not just with the social emotional piece but with the academics as well it was it's it's a great program i still pop in once in a while and i intend to help with their summer camp again this year what was your favorite part of working with the after school program well i am an implementer i love program development so i had the opportunity to start that particular program here in the county from the very beginning get it off the ground and running and before I handed it over to the next person. And I really liked getting to meet the school administrators and personnel, working with the staff, helping to coach them. But the best part was that that connection with the kiddos. And this is middle school and elementary or? Yes. Grades K through eight in most of our districts. And in one district, we worked with ninth through 12th. What do you prefer, younger or older kids? What do you think? Each age is different. I wouldn't choose one over the other. Now, the Strategic Prevention Framework Project. Now, I I hear the word SPIF being used. That's, that's, the, acronym. that's the acronym. So we can call it SPIF from now on and I don't have to say all those that long title. Now, how did you get into the SPIF? Because I like to, again, do that program development and implementation, and I'm pretty well organized. The SPIF is, is a process that's used in communities to help communities understand maybe what needs are there that aren't being met and uh, looking at ways that they can address those needs. So that process in of itself, so what they, there's an acronym for it, but it's um, assessment, capacity, planning, implementation, and evaluation. And people don't realize, but we actually do this in our lives every day, right? So we think, oh, we want to be a football player for a, a pro team. We set our goals. We're, we're assessing what, what our skills are. We're figuring out whether or not that's something that we have to do, which would be capacity. We, we plan, we, we figure out, okay, I need to make sure I have good grades and I need to work out and I need to eat healthy. And then we go and try becoming an athlete, right? And then we either succeed or not succeed. And we look at that and we say, what can we do differently? And we move forward with the whole process all over again. That's exactly what we do in communities. We assess the information in the local communities to figure out what are, what, what are the needs, what's happening. I'm not out there every day. The people who live here, go to school here, you know, they, they know what's, what's going on on a day-to-day basis. So we look at that data, we look past data, archival data, trend data, and we take that information and we say, okay, if this particular piece is missing, what do we need to to address that piece. We look at the capacity. What's the capacity in the community? What's the capacity with staff? What's the capacity with local grassroots organizations getting involved? And then 
we pull people together to look at this information and we decide what type of program or service could we bring into the county to address that. And we bring in programs that are effective and evidence-based. And we do that because we know they work. In bringing programs like that in, I'm sure you've had people talk about some before, like for example, Strengthening Families program, the Incredible Years, the after-school programs through C21, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Nurse Family Partnership, they're all evidence, what's called an evidence-based program. And, they, and when they are done to fidelity, they work. So in the process of SPIF, we then evaluate, are these programs really working? And the way we do that is by, again, going back to the assessment process, gathering the data, reviewing that data and saying, wow, this program was able to help X number of people decrease, you know, the feeling that they're not connected to the community, or this program helped to decrease the use of alcohol among teens. This program helps to reduce violence among youth. So the whole process is, again, something that we are, we're familiar with as individuals on a day-to-day basis. We just don't realize we're doing it. Through SPIF, we're bringing that formalized process to the community so the community can address their own needs, become engaged in the prevention. And you're just one person. How are you going to do all Um, So I help people to put this all together. We have the Collaborating for Youth Board, and I have a SPIF team of individuals. And together we figure out how we, how we can do this. How Who's the best person to do this? Who's the Who has the right service, the right organization or agency to address the specific need? Certainly we're going to pull in people from the mental health uh, world if it's a mental health issue that we're seeing in the data. If it's a substance abuse issue, we're going to pull in the prevention pieces and the, the substance abuse providers who offer services in the county. So that's that's exactly what I mean by capacity. Who's the right who's the right person, who's the right organization to address whatever it is we're finding in the data. So I think that's great. Looking at the data, you have a, a defined picture of the community in certain areas. Yes. And where does all that data come from? Well, it comes from several sources. The most relevant source to data for youth is what is called the Pennsylvania Youth Survey. And as the organization that helps to implement that in the school districts here in the county, what we do is that's actually done every two years. And it's targeted to children in 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th grades. So every two years, these students are taking this survey that we gather data from. So we're able to follow kids from 6th grade through 12th grade. So the data helps us to figure out what is going on in their lives. Um, We look at different areas uh, such as community, school, peer and individual, religiosity, connections to neighborhoods? Are they experiencing any bullying? Do they have early onset of substance abuse? So there's a lot of areas that we look at for that. We go back as far as 2001 for implementing those surveys here in the school districts. 
And we also look at archival data so that we can we can look at the trends. What's happened since 2001 to 2021? What's improved? What needs more work? And then we can target those services and bring them in to address those issues. Are you going to look at all aspects of the community or are you focusing on the youth? We are also looking at adult misuse of alcohol as well as misuse of marijuana for both. Okay, so let me back up a little bit. What are the target areas for SPIFs specifically? We talked about looking at gaps in the, in right. the, in the community. Are there, are there specific goals? We have four overarching goals, and they are to reduce alcohol use among youth, reduce marijuana use among youth, reduce alcohol use among adults, and reduce marijuana use among adults. And so when we're looking at adult alcohol use, we're, we're actually using the statistics from the DUIs in our region. Um, and our region is covered by the Pennsylvania State Police, and we have the highest rate of DUIs in the state. In, in Adams region, County? In our region. In our yes. region. Really, the highest DUI, DUI rate. Yeah. What causes that? I'm not sure, and I would hate to, uh, you know, make assumptions, but my guess would be that there's not a lot to do here in Adams County that is not substance-free. And so that is another goal that we have with the Strategic Prevention Framework grant is to offer alternative activities for families and um, individuals to attend that there are substances available. There are specific um, pockets in the community that we're hoping to engage in prevention. And so we're reaching out to our Hispanic communities, elder folks, and also LGBTQ individuals because there are, are higher prevalence rates in some of those communities. And they are communities that haven't had prominent access to services in the past. Give me an example of a program that might come out of looking at the data sure. and, and talking about how to, you know, to deal with certain things. Sure. So one, actually this involves youth, but one, one of the prevention programs that we offer in the county is a project called Project Sticker Shock. And Project Sticker Shock is uh, a way to build community awareness about the laws and the norms around serving anybody under 21, serving alcohol under 21. So as an example, we had not worked with the Hispanic community to do a project sticker shock with them before. And that is something that we did just this past fall, closer to the winter, I guess. We were able to connect with 13 different vendors in our area and build partnerships so that we could go in and do some project sticker shocks. And what that is, is our youth actually go in and put stickers on cases, sometimes bottles of beer, um, alcohol that's served. And then some of the places actually put it on their to-go cups because, you know, it being the season of COVID-19, there wasn't, there's not as many people going out, they're ordering food out. We're hoping to do more projects like that. We have a Parents Who Host campaign, which um, we usually do in the fall and the spring, and specifically targeting homecoming and then prom, because those are, are times when 
youth tend to partake more than other times. And so we really want to get that information out there about not serving, not selling, not providing alcohol to those under 20. So in my experience of working with county agencies and, and nonprofits and uh, educational systems, when there's a, an area of need, the programs, et cetera, and the personnel to, that you want to get on board to, to attack those problems come with a price tag. And sometimes that's expensive and there's it never seems to be enough money to deal with those things. How do you plan on meeting those financial goals to, to meet the needs of the community? So we do that a couple of different ways. One, we support organizations and, and agencies in the community that have the expertise in the areas of those services. Two, if we see an opportunity where the Center for Youth and Community Development organization can step in and play a role, then we will write grants, uh, fill out grant applications, seek other funding donations to help operate those programs. Everyone in the community has their, their niche to work in. Yes. And so sometimes we get a little narrow in our scope because of the everyday work we have to do. What I'm hearing you say is the, the magic that you have is the, the ability to really work partnerships and get everybody, even make them aware and bring them on board. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. Uh, we can't do it ourselves. You know, that old adage of it takes a village. It really does take more than one organization to address a community's need. As you said, one organization might have an expertise in a certain area and another organization in another area. So as an example of that, Collaborating for Youth partnered with the Criminal Justice Advisory Board at one point to develop and bring about the Overdose Awareness Task Force for Adams County. And we have a person who staffs that task force. You know, they do the, the minutes and the agendas and things like that. But together, the organizations put this uh, into place. And now we have community members who have joined and we work on building awareness around opioid use and overdose. And it's not something we could have done by ourselves. There's a lot of work that, that goes into doing an awareness walk in the community or celebrating Black Balloon Day, which is um, a day where we remember people who have overdosed. So there's a, a lot of work that goes into it, and we could not have done that by ourselves. We really rely on community involvement, people who have a connection to the particular event or area that we're trying to work on. They have the passion that's needed to carry it forward. What do you see as your biggest challenge in, in making all this happen? So I think the biggest challenge is getting the information out in such a way that the majority, if not all of our community, is aware and has the opportunity to engage in prevention activities. That That's just getting that the message out there. I will say that getting the message out there about the different activities that we're doing and helping people understand how they can make a difference if they get involved. So most people think that providing an intervention program is the be all and end all, right? So somebody has a problem with substances, 
let's get them treatment, which is great. You have to start somewhere, right? But in reality, if we think upstream, so we want to head off the fact that somebody might need treatment, we need to provide the prevention in the beginning so that less people need the treatment. And that, that is, that's the reality. And the other reality is that everything that we're talking about affects our families as well. Somewhere in our family, there's somebody who needs some academic assistance or somebody who's been bullied or somebody who is um, using drugs and wants help. So, you know, even though we think we're looking at the community and, oh, that happens over there, it happens everywhere. And we have a responsibility to try to fix it and try to prevent it so that, you know, down the road, we're heading off all those other treatments. We, we want to help people live healthy lives and make healthy choices. And nobody wants the problems in your family for the individuals that you love and care for. And often yeah, but it, it, happens. it does happen. And we often deny that 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 that, that is actually happening. And if getting the word out would would make it easier for people to access resources and services that that would be fantastic absolutely a real smart man by the last name of covey had had this stuff to say about beginning with the end in mind so what is your goal begin with the end in mind and be proactive and yes. not reactive not reactive well, we still need to be reactive in a sense because we have to start somewhere heading it off, right? So, you know, the people who are already in the throes of things, we can't head that off. We need to help them address whatever that is and move forward. But we can start heading things off at an early age and working on providing different prevention activities. Even the, the social emotional learning piece that we talked about earlier, you know, parents are work, both parents are working, sometimes parents uh, work two jobs. Sometimes people come from a single family. They might not have somebody to spend time with on a regular basis. And so they're not developing the skills that you and I, who came through the, you know, leave it to beaver era, developed because we were around somebody all the time. So by helping to teach social emotional learning skills, we're helping these young folks, you know, grow up into you know, responsible, caring adults. This is relatively new, but what is your focus of where you are right now? What are you targeting right now? One of the biggest aspects that we're working on through the Strategic Prevention Framework Grant is working on some cultural diversity and bringing cultural competence training to Adams County. So, you know, we're just the world has just become more diverse and conflict seems to be everywhere. And sometimes it leaves you wondering, you know, what, what's going on with our world? So what we're going to do is offer facilitator training to individuals from the community who are interested in helping on this project. That training will help individuals lead dialogue action circles, okay. which will be small, small groups in different pockets in the community, and they'll have just conversations about things that are going on and work on healing and work on how can we do things better and most importantly work together how do you see that manifest i mean you it seems like through that discussion you're planting some seeds right 
But how does that expand, that ripple? How does that go through the lake, as it were? What we'll do is we'll have a kickoff event in April, and then we will provide the specific training to individuals who are interested. And generally, we're looking for people who are caring and engaged in the community, and the person can be respectful to other people based on their uniqueness. So individuals can be trained to become facilitators, and then they will go out and hold small group meetings, these dialogue action groups. It could be maybe the facilitator and eight to 10 people. And then of those eight to 10 people who come, maybe they know another eight to 10 people and will hold another dialogue action group. And then those eight to 10 people might know. So it's very much like when you, the old Tupperware shows where you went to a party and then you had a party and then somebody had a party for you. Very similar to that. And, you know, eventually we hope that we can have dialogue action circles about other subjects, things that are going on in the community. We should all be talking about it together and working on it together. You are creating awareness, creating a, a sense of commonality in the concepts that you're, that you're working on. And then even the language becomes similar. Yes. Well, think, think of it this way, too. Because people are working more and they're busy and they're working longer hours when they're going to school and taking care of kids and all sorts of things, we don't have the old coffee clutches that used to happen among, you know, your neighbors, your friends. That doesn't happen anymore. So having these dialogue action circles, I think, will take us back to that, to having those discussions, working out issues and problems together, having fun together, building relationships, connecting communities and neighborhoods, and then connecting those neighborhoods and communities to other communities and neighborhoods. So I, I think it's just going back to the roots of, you know, being respectful to people and working together to solve problems. I think it's evident that the community members here in our area are giving and caring people. You can see that with money that's raised for a wide variety of issues and areas. I'm always impressed by that, that sense of caring that I'm going to do my part. However I can do my part, I'm going to do my part. Right. Whether it's time, money, whatever it might be, which is which is fantastic, and that's that's what makes communities resilient and you know continue to move forward, regardless of the issues. And you know, yeah, you're going to have issues when you have more than one person in a, in a room. You're going to have issues. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's it yeah. seems that's human nature. Because we're all unique, and we all come from different backgrounds and experiences. And and that's the, that's also the strength of our community as well. Yes. I mean, the, the amount of strength that everyone brings, all the different stories, all the different positive attributes are, are just, uh, just incredible. I'm, I'm hopeful that your initiative will really fan those flames and create that sense of strength. I always am concerned about working from weakness rather than strength and focusing on a problem and perseverating on that and not looking at the strength of what we can do together. Well, it's to, interesting that you say that because I come from a strength-based background in providing services. And when I look at these dialogue action circles, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. What are the strengths of the community? What are the strengths of this neighborhood? How can we use those strengths together to address some of the needs that people have? And I think that sometimes times become trying and people start to think that, you know, there may be no hope or less hope, but through those kinds of efforts, I think, and the strength-based approach, it 
really changes that outlook. It's like, well, no, there's things that we can do. That's really wonderful work, but there's a lot to be done. I think if I had to give advice to anybody that wanted to get involved in these dialogue action circles or any other part of the strategic prevention framework project that we're doing would be to sit down and look at what your strengths are and think of people who you know that have different strengths to bring to the table. And then, you know, are, are you willing to make that jump to help other people who can't take that next step first? So I hear a call to action. Absolutely. I would like to offer people, first of all, to go online to www.cfygettysburg.com and look at the website, look at some of the things that we're doing out there in the community. Maybe you recognize some of it. Maybe it's something new to you. There is a tab in the website for the strategic prevention framework. I will tell you, it's very full of information. If you can remember anything, remember that what we're doing is looking at what might be a need in the community, looking at what are the services, programs, events that we can bring in to help address those needs, looking for people to help engage in that process, and then how can we do it all over again for the next thing that we determine is a need. People can join us. You can email me, and that is Sammy, S-A-M-I, at cfygettysburg.com. Thanks very much for that information. And you heard the call to action. This initiative has potential to be really big in, in bringing people together. And I want to thank you, Sammy, for being with us to talk about the Strategic Prevention Framework Project. I think it could really change the way some things are happening for our kids and, and our families in our community. Is there anything else, any final words you'd like to, to leave with our audience? Well, John, now that you ask, <laughs> uh, I also have people ask, how do you get into this field? How do you do what you're doing? And so I would say that if you have a passion for helping people, if you have a connection with a particular vulnerable population, start there. I started, like I said, over 40 years ago and have worked my way up through different positions within organizations, but I've always been an advocate for others at heart. And I think that's the driving force for me and what I do, because I want to make sure that there's equity and that everybody has the opportunities to take advantage of things that they, is available in life. And sometimes people aren't able to use their own voice. So if you have a passion for helping in that way, go for it. Volunteer somewhere, find out what, what particular population you like to work with, whether it's the elderly or children and youth or um, you know people with, with substance abuse issues or people with disabilities, but there's somewhere where you're gonna find your niche and you'll know it. And that will help you become the person that's out there engaging in the community and doing what's best for all people. Well, that's great advice and really appreciate those final words, Sammy. Really do. Thank you so much again for being here with us. And um, it'd be great maybe in a year or so or maybe six months, have you back to check on progress and see see how things are going. That would be great to do. Absolutely. I would love to do that. And I know 
that you would love to get involved in a dialogue action circle. Absolutely. Sounds like a great, a great thing to do. Appreciate that very much. Once again, thank you for being with us. Take care, Sonny. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can find out more about the Respective Solutions Group on the web at www.perspectivesolutions.com. You can also find the RSG podcast series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.